Hello to everyone on the live stream. Hello to everyone in church. I'm sorry I was muted. I think it's okay. It gives the tech team a great joy that they get to hold up a sign saying, you're muted, brackets, you idiot. <laughs> Hello, my name is Adam Curtis and I'm the curate here at Christ Church and it is a joy to be with you here this Easter morning. Please do keep uh, Luke 24 open as we'll be delving deep uh, into it. But as we come to God's word, let's come a moment of prayer. Oh, dearest God, we thank you that you are a speaking God and that you speak to us today by the power of the Holy Spirit through your word. Open up our hearts and our minds to hear all that you have to say. In the name of Jesus, amen. How, uh, how many of you here made a New Year's uh, resolution? So three and a half months ago, how many? Let's have some hands up. Okay, okay, we've got a few hands, few hands. Not many! Incredible, incredible. Okay, out of the few hands we've had, how many of you kept those New Year's resolutions? Oh, okay, well done, well done. We've got some promise, promise makers, promise keepers right there. Like, it's quite common, isn't it, to, to make a promise, even if that promise is just to ourselves, that, that, that I'm going to do this diet, or I'm going to do that much exercise, or I'm going to complete the Bible in the year for the 20th time, or whatever it, whatever it may be. We make this great promise to ourselves at the beginning of the year, and actually it can be quite hard. Hard to, uh, to keep it, hard to fulfill it. Um, and today, we're going to be thinking about how Jesus, uh, he makes some pretty big promises, some pretty big claims. Do you know how many times in Luke's account, how many times in Luke's account, Jesus promises, makes a direct promise, because there's a few, a few illusions, makes a direct promise that he's going to rise from the dead. Anyone want to hazard a guess? Any how does a guess? Oh, oh, Edward Foster makes a claim three. So, Edward Foster, I'm afraid it isn't three, it is actually two. So Jesus claims that he's going to die three times, but he claims that he'll rise from the dead twice. But good, good guess, good guess. Thanks for saving my face there. There you go, that's why you have a housemate. <laughs> so in Luke's Gospel, Jesus claims that he's going to rise from the dead twice. Let's, let's have a look at one of, those, uh, one of those claims. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 21. That's found on page 1136. Luke chapter 9, verse 21. Jesus strictly warned them. So he's talking to his uh, disciples here. He strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man... And have a title for Jesus. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. So Jesus makes a, a bit, pretty big promise there. He's going he's gonna to die. He's going to, well, he's more than just that. He's going to be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. He's going to be killed, and on the third day, he'll be raised to life. That's a big promise. That's a big promise. But what's interesting here, as he's making this huge promise, he's making other promises as well. We look down at uh, verse, uh, verse 23. If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, 
for whoever loses his life for me will save it. On one hand, Jesus is making this huge promise, I will die, but I'll be raised to life. And on another hand, Jesus is making another huge promise, and those who follow me, they too will die, but they too will be raised to life. As Jesus makes a huge promise about himself, he also makes a huge promise about all those who would follow him. And what does it mean to, to follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, it's a, following Jesus is a saying no to self and a yes to Christ. Yes, Jesus, you're the Lord. Yes, you're the Savior. Yes, I believe in you. It means, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say no to self by, by literally the idea of putting, putting myself to death so that I can live all for you. And that is the way of, way of salvation. Jesus makes a big promise about the resurrection and he makes a big promise for all those who will follow him. Now I've noticed in life that we live in a world of promises. We live in a world of promises. So maybe, maybe if you're a young child today, you remember this feeling, but or maybe slightly older, you remember that, that feeling in the summer holidays where you come down the stairs and, and you come down the stairs and your eyes, oh, oh, what, what's this? What, what have we got over here? And you see a suitcase lying there. And you're like, oh my, what, what, what's, what's this about? What's this about? And you open up your, you open up your suitcase and, you, and you're like, okay, okay, a beach towel. Hello, hello. Oh, swimming shorts. Yes, very good, very good. Sun cream, come on, come on. Some incredibly trendy flip-flops. Wow. Mama's really got an eye for fashion there. And as, as, as you see all these things in that suitcase, you're like, oh, and then you, you run into the kitchen. You're like, mom, mom, dad, dad, what's going on? And they're like, well, we're going on holiday. They're making us a promise. We are going on holiday and we're going to the seaside. And that is like the best news ever. We live in a world of, of promises. A world of promises. But it's only a promise at this stage as we're rumbling through, as we're looking at the sun cream and the flip-flops, it's only a promise. It's not yet reality. It's not yet truth. Turning back to Luke 24. Back to Luke 24. Page 1160. Luke 24. We see that Jesus is a big, big promise maker, a huge promise maker. Can he be a promise keeper? Luke 24, we, we meet some women here, uh, Mary, um, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and they're, they're, they're off to Jesus' tomb, and they're taking spices with them. And they're taking spices because by putting the spices on the body, it will stop it from, uh, from reeking. Um, so what thus are they expecting? If they're going with their spices to the tomb, what are they expecting? Well, they're expecting to find a body. They can put these spices on. They're expecting to find a body. And what instead do they find? Well, instead they find, oh, well, the, the, the stone is, is rolled away. And instead, instead they don't find any body at all. And instead of having this great uh, moment of closure, which they were expecting, instead of having this great moment of, of closure by anointing, Suddenly, they don't have a moment of closure. Suddenly, their whole world is opened up like never before. And into this new reality, 
into this new world, which is so open, more open than it's ever been, two angels step. And they ask him, why do you look for the living? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? And then they remind Mary, Mary, and Joanna of the promise maker and the promise that he made. Remember, remember he told you. Remember he told you, verse 7, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified on the third day, be raised again. Remember all the promises that have been made to you. How do you know? How do you know that you're actually, that this promise of a holiday is actually reality? How do you know that it's actually going to happen? Well, you don't know it's going to happen when you're just like unpacking all the, all the stuff in the hallway. You know that the promise of a holiday is actually going to happen when you're sat in the plane with a little bit, not enough leg room to be comfortable, but you're sat there anyway. You're sat in the plane knowing that you are going to some paradise of a destination with mom and dad. That's, that's when you know that that promise which was made has now been a promise which has been kept when you're on the plane. Jesus is the great promise maker, but he is also the great promise keeper. Jesus made loads of big promises. If you follow me, you will lose your life, but by losing your life, you will save it. That is a huge promise that Jesus makes. And following Jesus, that, oh, then that's then the way of salvation. That is then the way of, uh, of salvation. And we know that it is true, that, this is, that, that, that if we lose our lives, we will save it. We know that it's true. We know it's worth going Jesus' way because, because when he made this promise about the resurrection, he then kept it. Jesus is a promise maker, but Jesus is a promise keeper. So even though this, this, this great ask that Jesus has of us to follow him, to lose your life so that you may save it, even though that is a great cost to it, it is worth following it. It's worth believing it. It's worth holding fast to Jesus Christ because he keeps his promises. The resurrection shows us, it tells us, it screams to us that Jesus is a promise keeper and that we can trust him today. So Jesus Christ, he is the great promise maker. And we've seen in the resurrection that he's a great promise keeper. So it then begs us to ask the question, will we be promise believers? Mary, Mary and Joanna, they'd heard, they'd been told the promise. And yet when they went to the tomb, what were they expecting? But a body. When they should have known that there was going to be no body there. The disciples, they've heard the promise. And yet when Mary, Mary and Joanna came and told them uh, uh, what has happened in the tomb, they think it's nonsense. Their first reaction is, this must be nonsense. They've heard the promise, but they thought it was nonsense. And it, well, it took those two angels appearing to Mary, Mary and Joanna, and it took the women appearing to the disciples to encourage Peter to get off his ass and run. And he run, ran to the tomb, and he marveled at what he, 
what he saw there. It took the angels, it took the women's testimony before people were ready to be promised believers. Are we ready to be a promised believer? Now, when we really understand what Jesus is asking us, when he asks us to be a promised believer, when we really meditate upon it, it's actually, it's actually quite a costly thing to lose our life. To lose our life, to say no to self and yes to Jesus so that we will save our lives. That's a costly thing, to deny self and say yes to Christ. Very costly. You know, when I was uh, um, at university, well, so before university, I was brought up in a wonderful Christian home, baptized, knew the Lord Jesus, loved the Lord Jesus. But when I went to university, uh, I, I was sort of hit with quite some serious sort of like intellectual doubts, emotional doubts. And part of the reason I had all these doubts wasn't because I didn't really want to be a Christian. I sort of, I loved Jesus and I loved the meaning and the purpose and the joy which Jesus gave me. But the idea of following Jesus just felt too costly. It felt like I was denying myself too much. And I just, I was like, I just don't, I just don't know if I want to do this anymore. I, I don't know if I believe this anymore. And I just want to want to walk away from all of this. And I was sort of getting into myself into more of a, a mood, spiraling down into a mood because of this. And, um, and then I, I spoke to a friend of mine, a guy called Sam Liu. And I didn't really want to be honest with him. So I just said that I just wasn't in a great place spiritually. I just sort of left it at that. And Sam being this great encourager, which he was, um, uh, he, he read from account of the resurrection and then, and then he prayed for me. He read from account from the resurrection and then he prayed for me. And what's interesting is he then gave a few words about the glories of, of the power of the, the resurrection life in one's own life. And all true, all wonderful. But the thing which really struck a nerve, and the thing which really hit my mind when he read that account of the, uh, of the resurrection, is that yes, Jesus asked us to pay a, a cost to follow him, to deny ourselves, to lose ourselves so that we live for him. And we save our life because of it. But yeah, he asks us a cost, but he provides us with a mighty reason. He provides us with a mighty reason. Our, our, our faith, to be a Christian, it isn't this like anti-intellectual sort of exercise where we've just got to sort of put a blindfold over our eyes and just leap just purely into, into the darkness. The Lord God, through creation, through his word, through the resurrection, gives us a whole heap load of reasons to believe in him, to trust him. And what was interesting is my friend Sam read out that, that account of the resurrection. Um, this, uh, this reason for why the resurrection is true sort of popped into my head. And I'm almost embarrassed to sort of verbalize it nowadays because it it's a highly offensive reason why the resurrection is true. In, uh, in old uh, Roman sort of times, in old Jewish sort of times, in, in 2,000 years ago, um, if you were to go to a court of law, and, uh, and you wanted to prove a case in a court of law, well, a woman's testimony had zero validation. It meant nothing. It meant nothing. Only the testimony of the man was accepted. And what's fascinating about this story of the resurrection right here, if this was a made-up story, if, if, the, if the, the early Christian church had got together and were like, okay, we're going to make up the story of the resurrection, what would they have done? They surely would have chosen the most realistic evidence in their day and they would have used the most realistic evidence of their day and their time to validate the resurrection surely that's what they would have done they would have had 
it being two men or three men going to the tombs and meeting an angel rather than three women. Because they would have been like, oh, well, in our day, the prejudice of our day means that's what people are going to believe. But they don't do that. They don't write what would have been the, the most realistic expo- explanation of the time. Instead, they write that three women went to the grave and discovered the empty tomb and met the angels. And why do they write three women? Because that's what happened. Because that's the truth. Because that's the truth. And what's fascinating is the more you, you sort of research into, into, into the resurrection and, and its historical reliability, the more, the more like, overwhelming the evidence becomes. This is a, a word from a high court judge that Edward Clark wrote. As a lawyer, I have made a prolonged study of the evidence for the events of the first Easter day. To me, the evidence is conclusive, and over and over again in the high court, I have secured the verdict on evidence not nearly so compelling. When Jesus asks us to follow him, he asks us to, to lose our life. But in asking us to lose our life, he's saying, this is the way of salvation. This is the way of sins forgiven. This is a way of life eternal. And he doesn't do it on a meaningless, empty promise. He makes a mighty promise. And then he provides mighty evidence. Jesus is a promise maker and he is a promise keeper. Will we be promise believers? Will we hold fast to the story of the resurrection? Will we hold fast to Jesus Christ? Will we lose our life knowing that as we lose it, we will find it in Christ. Let me close with a, a word of prayer. Our dearest God, King of kings and Lord of lords, we thank you for the account of this first Easter day. And we thank you that this account doesn't bury itself and try and just appease the, 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 the readers of when it was first written, but gave us a truthful account of what occurred because they wanted all generations to know. Thank you that you want all generations to know of what happened that first Easter day. How your son defeated death, how he rose from the grave, how he reigns, reigns victoriously. Help us, Father God, to, to, to see the resurrection and see the mighty proof it is of Jesus' lordship and to believe it. And I pray for all those today who uh, this maybe the first time of thinking about who Jesus Christ is and what his impact on their lives. I pray will you help them to reach forward and grasp hold of him. And I pray for all of us today who have loved this truth for many a year. May it warm our hearts and our minds. May it convict us and draw us closer to you. May we be just more amazed by the, the power of your son and more willing to live his way. In the name of Jesus, amen.